Uh, well, friends, uh, I don't know whether you've watched the movie Castaway before. Uh, has anyone watched the, the movie Castaway? Uh, it's a very well-known movie uh, with Tom Hanks. Uh, I love movies where people are stuck on a deserted island. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, I love those kind of movies. Uh, if you know the movie, uh, a plane goes down, uh, Tom Hanks gets washed up on a deserted island, uh, he's cut off from home, he's cut off from his wife, he's cut off from everything uh, and everyone who is precious to him. And so he tries everything to keep his hopes alive. Uh, he even begins to talk to a volleyball uh, called Wilson so that he can uh, relate to someone uh, on the island. Uh, the tension in the movie comes from searching for hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. Uh, what do you do when all hope is gone? Uh, what do you do when all hope is gone? Uh, how, where do you search for hope in the midst of despair? Uh, well, we're looking at Isaiah this morning, and uh, we've been uh, told that uh, uh, we've covered the first 39 chapters earlier in the year, and uh, we'll spend the next nine weeks trying to uh, now finish uh, the book until the end. And uh, you might remember, uh, as someone suggested earlier, that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah uh, is really pretty much all bad news. Uh, the prophet Isaiah is given a message of judgment uh, to preach to uh, the people of Jerusalem and Judah uh, who are in the southern kingdom of Israel. Uh, historically, uh, the judgment of God for uh, their hard-heartedness and their rebelliousness and their sinfulness comes in the form of the Assyrian army who eventually lays siege to the city of Jerusalem in the 8th century, in 701 BC, uh, before God miraculously saves the city. Uh, however, uh, I want you to see that at the end of chapter 39, Isaiah predicts that the judgment of God will actually get even worse. Uh, he says to King Hezekiah that it's not the Assyrians that are now your main worry, uh, the Babylonians are now going to come and take the people of Jerusalem into exile. Uh, and so, uh, if you have your Bibles there in front of you, uh, turn to chapter 39, verse 6. Chapter 39, verse 6. You can see it there. Uh, Isaiah chapter 39, verse 6. Uh, does anyone have a pew Bible? What, what page is that on? 599. Thanks, Ronnie. Uh, chapter 39, verse 6. Uh, Isaiah says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Uh, now, friends, I just want you to feel the utter tragedy of what Isaiah is saying here. Uh, the people of Jerusalem will be dragged away from their homes to be slaves in a foreign land. Uh, they will be refugees. They will be cut off from home. They will be cut off from God himself. They will be cut off from the promises 
of blessing that God had given them. You know, there is nothing more terrifying in this world than to be cut off from the God who is the source of all life and the source of all blessing. It is a state of utter hopelessness and despair. And so the question that we take into chapter 40 is that given this hopeless situation, where is hope going to come from? Where do you find hope when all hope is gone? Uh, Well, you've probably noticed, uh, but chapter 40 is uh, this huge turning point in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Yes, in the first 39 chapters, there have been uh, little glimmers of hope here and there for the people of Jerusalem, but uh, it's really in chapter 40 that you see hope um, uh, rising and coming to the fore. Uh, There is hope beyond the judgment of Babylon, says God. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 1. If you have your Bibles there, chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Uh, Notice the repetition of the word comfort there. Uh, You often repeat something when you want to reassure someone, don't you? Um, I think about the the father who says, you know, well done, son, well done, son, to his child. Or a mother who says, there, there, to her sick child. Uh, What God is doing here is he's speaking tenderly to his people, roaring them that they are still his people. I haven't forgotten about you. I haven't abandoned you. Uh, But notice, friends, the substance of this comfort. Uh, He mentions three things here. Uh, Firstly, the warfare is over. Uh, Obviously, this is talking about the war with foreign nations like Babylon. But in the book of Isaiah, uh, the bigger point is that actually unimaginably, it is not in the end Babylon who has been at war with Jerusalem, but it is God himself who has been at war with his people because of their sin. But here, that war is over, says God. The hostilities have ceased. Uh, Secondly, your sins are forgiven. Your iniquities have been pardoned. The prison doors have been flung open. You are free to go. And thirdly, uh, the penalty for sin has been paid for. Uh, You might have been wondering why it says there that uh, Jerusalem uh, has received double for all her sins. Uh, It seems a little harsh and unfair of God, don't you think, to uh, pay back Jerusalem uh, twice the amount for their sins. But the word there actually means to fold over. Uh, it's, it's like um, you know, folding over a handkerchief uh, in half so that one half matches the other half. Uh, what Isaiah is saying here is actually that uh, uh, the penalty 
will exactly match the sin, and that penalty will be paid for. Now, uh, as we read further into the book of Isaiah, uh, we see more and more clearly how God is going to bring this about. Uh, In the famous uh, chapter of Isaiah 53, for example, uh, we see that it's going to come through uh, a suffering servant. He is the one who is going to bring peace with God. The war is over. He is the one who is going to bring forgiveness of sins. There will be pardon. He is the one who will be pierced for our transgressions. The penalty will match exactly our sin. But it's not us who will pay the price. It is him. It's not hard to see that uh, this actually finds its ultimate fulfilment in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, who dies for the sins of the whole world so that the hostility that God has against sinners might be over. Uh, Friends, uh, what are the problems that you face uh, in your life at the moment? Um, We all have uh, different problems uh, in life, don't we? Uh, And uh, I'd imagine that we're all different in that regard. Some of us have relationship problems. Uh, Some of us have financial problems. Uh, Others of us have health problems. In fact, the world is full of problems. However, I want you to see very clearly that God says again and again and again in the scriptures that your biggest problem and my biggest problem are actually none of those, but it's actually the fact that we are sinners and we have been rebels who do not, in our pride, want to listen to God. It is actually this problem that is behind every other problem in this world. But here is a word of comfort from God. The warfare is ended. Your sins are forgiven. The penalty has been paid in full. And where do you find this comfort and this hope? Well, you can find it in no other place other than at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and me. And so uh, we've seen the substance of uh, the magnificent comfort that headlines chapter 40. But uh, you notice there that in the rest of our passage this morning, uh, there are actually three voices that expand upon this comfort and uh, this hope that Isaiah brings. Uh, The the first voice, uh, you'll notice there, speaks about a highway. Um, uh, You can see it there in verse 3. Let's pick it up from verse 3. Uh, A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places are plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, The image here is of a highway that is 
being prepared for a royal visit. Uh, we're familiar with images like this, aren't we? Uh, I think about um, you know, when you roll out the red carpet for important people. Uh, or I think about you know, when they block off the main street uh, for a visit from the Queen. But notice here how determined God is uh, as the king to visit his people. Uh, it says that valleys won't stop him. Not even hills and mountains will stop him. Rough ground won't stop him. He'll, he'll actually level it all out so that a highway can be prepared for his coming. He will visit his people once again, and on that day, all flesh will see the glory of God, and it will be a public revelation, not something that is done in a corner. Uh, now, fast forward about 600 years from uh, the time uh, of the Babylonian exile uh, to the beginning of New Testament times. Uh, the people, uh, as the New Testament opens, are still waiting for the comfort that Isaiah is talking about. Uh, we saw in the New Testament reading this morning uh, people like old man Simeon, who it says was waiting for the comfort or the consolation of Israel. That's Isaiah language. But all the gospel writers in the New Testament quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5, when they speak about John the Baptist, not long after people like Simeon. You see, in the minds of the New Testament writers, they see John the Baptist as that voice that is announcing the coming of God the King. And who comes after John the Baptist? Well, it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, isn't it? And John says, you've got to get ready for this king. And the way that you get ready is by repenting. John comes preaching a message of repentance. Turn away from your sin and turn to this Jesus. Welcome him into your life as your king, he says. Uh, friends, have you and I personally repented of our rebellious attitude towards God? And have we turned to Jesus as our king? Uh, is it our practice to constantly be repenting in this way because we recognize who he is? Uh, I've noticed in my own life, uh, it's easy to think about how other people should repent. Uh, is that the same with you? Uh, it's so here uh, to see the sin in others and to work out in, my, in our minds how they should be repenting. Uh, it's very easy to think about others rather than confront the hard realities of sin in my own life. But where is hope and comfort to be found? According to Isaiah and according to John the Baptist, well, it's to be found in personally repenting, turning away from our sin and our rebelliousness and turning to Jesus 
welcoming him as our king. There is no comfort, friends, in knowing Jesus from a distance, but actually having not much to do with him. There is great comfort in turning to him with our whole being and inviting him to be the king of our lives. That's where comfort is found. Uh, Now, friends, uh, the second voice of comfort or hope that you can see in this passage centres around the word of God. You can see it there from verse 6. Let's pick it up from verse 6. Verse 6 says, A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all uh, its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, Notice here that the voice of God himself instructs Isaiah to cry or to proclaim something. However, Isaiah replies by asking, uh, what shall I cry? I think there is a hint of despair in what Isaiah is saying here. It's, it's like he's saying, what possible thing can I say, what possible thing can I cry or proclaim in the midst of this situation that you've told us about, the judgment that is to come in, in the exile? What word of comfort can I bring to a people shattered? But the message that Isaiah is given to proclaim is that there is comfort and hope to be found, and it is to be found in the word of God that stands forever. you notice there that the word of God is contrasted with all flesh. The flesh there is talking about human strength, human power, human beauty, human ingenuity, everything that is impressive about humanity. But God says that there is actually no comfort in putting your trust in flesh because in the end, all human flesh will wither and die like a weed. You see, if you remember, this was the great sin of Jerusalem, wasn't it? The kings and the people of Jerusalem sought comfort and hope in other human leaders and other nations like Assyria and Egypt rather than in God. They sought comfort in military strength. They sought comfort in man. And what does God say? Well, he says that all these things in the end will be as flimsy as that little piece of grass that gets blown away by the wind. They might offer temporary comfort, but in the end they will wither like the grass, they will fade like a flower. But the only lasting comfort and hope can be found in the word of God that lasts forever. Friends, I wonder, whether, uh, I wonder where we are seeking comfort in our lives. Where are you seeking comfort and hope in your life? Uh, we might not seek comfort in Assyria or Egypt or in horses and chariots. But are we seeking comfort and hope in human flesh? In certain nations, perhaps, to bring us security 
and peace. In politics and economics and the strength of certain leaders, in our achievements, in our appearance, in modern medicine, all these things may offer some temporary comfort, but friends, in the end, they will always fail you. In the face of death and in the face of eternity, they will prove to be as flimsy as that piece of weed that is blown away in the wind. But those who seek comfort in the word of God will find eternal comfort, a comfort that cannot be blown away. Uh, You don't have to look this up, uh, but at the end of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, actually quotes from uh, this part of Isaiah, and he says that the word of God is the gospel that was preached to the people that he is writing to. You see, that's where hope is found. That's where real comfort is found. It is in the gospel promises of God. And so do you seek your comfort in what God says to you in the gospel of the Lord Jesus? That is where real and lasting comfort is found. Uh, Well, finally, uh, the last voice that we hear in our passage uh, this morning is... uh, Not the voice of God, but it's actually the voice of the people of Jerusalem who are to be the heralds of this good news of the gospel. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 9. Have a look at verse 9. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Notice the paradox of uh, this good news. Uh, God comes with great power and might, uh, like a military general, returning from battle with all the spoils of war. God comes with gentleness, like a shepherd. And you have that wonderful picture of the shepherd gathering up his sheep in his arms. It's a paradox that points us forward to the person and work of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus comes with great power and authority, healing the sick, stilling the wind and the waves by his very word and silencing his opponents. Jesus comes as a shepherd, gathering his people, his disciples, eating with tax collectors and sinners and welcoming little children into his arms. Jesus at the cross devastatingly defeats sin and death and the devil Jesus at the cross dies in meekness and humility, giving up his very own life for his sheep. You see, friends, uh, this is such good news of comfort that the people of Jerusalem are asked here to be heralds of this good news, 
They are to shout this news from the mountains so that all of Judea can hear what God will do for his people. The logic of this passage is that those who are the recipients of good news will be the ones who broadcast that news to others. Uh, you may have heard the story of uh, hush puppy shoes. Uh, who owns a pair of uh, hush puppy shoes here? Uh, a few people. Uh, the older ones. Um, comfort is important, isn't it? <laughs> um, the story goes that in the mid-90s, uh, the hush puppy company was almost uh, you know, out of business. Uh, no one was buying its shoes. Um, they only uh, really existed in the op shops of New York uh, because people had thrown away their hush puppies. Uh, but what happened was that a, a few young people, apparently, um, bought some hush puppies from a few of the op shops in New York, and they found them so comfortable that they started to tell their friends about it. Uh, hush puppy actually did no advertising around this period, but as people spread the word that this, these were the most comfortable shoes out there, uh, well, news started to spread, <laughs> And today, uh, there's a hush puppy outlet in pretty much every major shopping centre around, around the world. You see, it, it's hard not to talk about something that we find good and comforting, isn't it? Uh, friends, I don't know what motivates you uh, to share the gospel with others. Uh, my guess is that uh, many of us um, sometimes you know, switch off whenever... Uh, we're encouraged to uh, speak about Jesus with other people. Uh, perhaps we're afraid. Um, but what is it that should motivate us uh, to take that step? Uh, I, I mean, if I wanted to, I, I could perhaps guilt you into sharing the gospel with other people. Uh, I read a quote the other day uh, by the English bishop J.C. Ryle. Uh, who said this, he said, the highest form of selfishness is a man who is content to go to heaven alone. Um, that's right, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, I felt so guilty uh, that uh, I, I started drawing up plans in my mind uh, to share the gospel uh, with uh, some friends that my wife and I have got to know. Uh, perhaps I can motivate you to share the gospel by saying that the Bible commands it. Uh, I think here, the people of Jerusalem are commanded to be heralds of good news, aren't they? But friends, I think even more than that, it is the ones who are personally convinced that this is uh, the best news, the most comforting news that you can ever hear who will be the ones who naturally share this gospel with others. We cannot help but share news that sounds good to us. And so, is this news something that sounds good to you? Is it really good news because you have the comfort and hope that comes from it? Have you been so comforted by this gospel that you cannot help but want to share it with others. 
Uh, now, I know that uh, for some of us, uh, we might want to share the gospel, but we don't really know how to go about doing it. Um, and I just want to point out that um, uh, towards the end of August, uh, we're going to run a few weeks um, just trying to help people to uh, understand the gospel better uh, with the view of um, equipping people to share that good news with other people, uh, especially as uh, spring comes up and uh, we go into our month of, of mission in spring. And so uh, if you'd like to um, grow in this area, uh, then what, can I encourage you to come along to, to that training uh, and Piri will give you further details about it later. Uh, but we'd love to see you there. And so, friends, uh, where do you and I find comfort? Uh, where do we find hope in the midst of despair? Well, Isaiah says that you find real comfort and real hope. Jesus, who has come into this world to end the war with God by forgiving us our sins, by paying the penalty for sin in full. Uh, we find comfort and hope by personally repenting of sin, making changes in our lives, and turning to Jesus as our King. We find comfort and hope by trusting and leaning on the word of God that promises us that God will not fail us to our dying day like frail human flesh. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know this comfort and this hope? Have you turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? And uh, this isn't just a, a question for uh, non-Christians among us. It's actually a question for everyone here. Are we repenting of sin? Are we trusting God's word? Not just because that's not just how we start the Christian life, but it's how we go on to find comfort in our lives. And do you know the deep comfort and hope that comes from this gospel word about the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the deep comfort uh, that comes from the gospel. We thank you that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. We thank you that even though, like Jerusalem, we were once dead in our transgressions and cut off from you, you have made us alive in Christ. And so, Father, we pray that we might know this comfort and this hope more and more in our lives. If there are things we need to repent of this morning and turn to Christ, please help us to do that. If there are things in our lives that we need to lean on your word rather than on worldly or fleshly things, please give us the strength to do that. But we pray that you would so fill us with the comfort and hope of knowing Jesus as our King personally, that you would also help us to be bold proclaimers of this good news. Please help us not to fear in this task, but to know just how mighty and powerful you are to save, so that we cannot but share this good news with those around us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.